Hi everyone, welcome to Baby Steps Nutrition, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, health, and wellness for families of children of all ages and stages. I'm your host, Argavon Neil Forouge, a pediatric dietitian and mom of two young children. My goal is to bring you impactful information that you can apply every day in a simplified, practical form to make life easier. Now let's get into today's conversation. Eric Christensen is a director, producer, editor, and filmmaker. After experiencing a life-altering event, followed by years of alcohol and drugs to cope, Eric turned to the power of storytelling and story-making to deliver messages of hope and resilience. Eric was on episode number 39 of the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. Today, he is here to discuss his latest film, Unmasking Hope. I love this quote that you shared, Eric, the best way out is always through. A warmest welcome back to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. Oh, thank you so much. And I, I'm so excited to be back, especially now that the the film is done. <laughs> yes. And the last time we chatted, you were really knee deep into making the film. And so here you are in the in the last stages of before it being launched to the public. So super exciting. Oh, very. Yeah. After four years and well, it's not just four years. It goes back almost 50 years, but we'll get into that. <laughs> yes. And so let's talk about, because you have a few other films under your belt and the underlying themes of all these films are hope and finding a way forward amid grief and recovery. So I want to talk about the films, the moments, lessons, takeaway messages. Like, let's just get up close and personal with each of your films. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's that's kind of cool. Well, my very very first film, Faces in the Fire. Not, I mean, I'd worked in the industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of other, you know, films, commercials, and things like that. But my very first personal feature length documentary was Faces in the Fire, and I made that film right after I lost my home in the Painted Cave fire disaster in Santa Barbara in nineteen. 19- uh, June 1990. So that dates me a little bit, (laughs) but, um, that was a result of going through that experience and that experience changed my life. And it also changed my life in a way where, uh, I created this film and then I found my calling. So, you know, I, I kind of restarted my life after that, after that fire, it was a calling card for me. And, uh, I, I kind of reset everything 30 years ago and got clean and sober. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I was making this film faces in the fire. So to try to say what faces in the fire, it was my first kind of foray into this kind of filmmaking about recovery. And it wasn't about the fire. It was about after the fire. And that's where I really found, you know, the importance of hope you know, to keep going, to keep pushing through that recovery of whatever it is, whatever the trauma was, whatever the disaster was. And so, you know, it was a real eye opener on a lot of different levels of how it affected the people that were in the film, how it affected myself as a filmmaker, and then ultimately how it affected the audience. So that was a real learning kind of experience. And you have that gift, I feel, because with trauma 
I feel people get really stuck in it. And I understand that because when you've been through a traumatic event or if you've experienced trauma, it is so hard to talk about it. Like just saying it out loud is a huge first step and you need a lot of courage to be able to say this happened to me. But with your films, they they share, but then there's like what's next. And so that's the beauty of the way you tell your stories. And I hope I hope my films encourage people to come forward and tell their stories, you know, by by relating to the people in the films. Mm -hmm. And that's that's another thing that's different about my films is I'm not just following one individual. I follow multiple individuals. Mm -hmm. And for example, in my next film, you know, after facing the fire, that got a lot of attention for me. Mm -hmm. And I directed a lot of other documentaries and but nothing really hit home like that because it wasn't it wasn't a heart project I guess you would say and uh about eight years later um after faces the fire I'm I was thinking man I would love to have another experience like that so I was I was actually actively praying for something to you know come my way like faces in the fire and I'm sitting in a men's group meeting and a gentleman in there shares that he's a Vietnam vet and uh, his mom had just passed away and he had a lot of grief coming up and a lot of the Vietnam stuff was coming back to him. And so he is thinking going on this motorcycle run from California to the wall in Washington, D.C., the Vietnam Memorial Wall. Mm-hmm. And it's this he- healing pilgrimage is a motorcycle run. And um, I went up and talked to him afterwards and you know, he said, yeah, you're more than welcome to come <laughs> if you can get your stuff together. We're leaving in about two weeks. My my second my second child was just born. Will, my boy Will was, I don't know, just a few months old. I came home and told my wife, I'm like, yeah, I think I found my next project. I'm going to go across the United States with a bunch of motorcyclists. And <laughs> she's like, great. <laughs> so, but that's where, that's where Homecoming, a Vietnam vet's journey was born. And uh, I ended up going... In, in a four-wheeler following these guys across the United States on this healing pilgrimage where uh, these Vietnam vets were finally welcome home after, at that time, after 30 years. And it was about their healing, about uh, working across the United States and working through all their different, you know, issues and really coming face-to-face with what happened in Vietnam, culminating in pretty much a, an epiphany um, when they get to the uh, Vietnam Memorial, the, the wall in Washington, D.C. And uh, that was that really cemented my calling. And uh, again, there was like, you know, a multitude of uh, stories telling one story, the mm-hmm. aggregate of all these different people telling the story, told kind of one story. They were all different, but they all told one story. So that was really the formation of my style of how I tell these stories. And the other part of that, with, uh, with particularly with Homecoming of Vietnam Vets Journey, is one thing that was important. And one of the biggest compli- uh, compliments I've ever received was somebody came up after a film festival showing and they go, wow, that's the first movie on Vietnam I, I've ever seen that's not political. Mm. And my films aren't political. They're, they're, they're about a journey of the soul. And yes. they're about a journey of the heart. And I completely stay out of the politics. And it's it's interesting because 
all that kind of stuff kind of weaves itself around the story, but the pure story is the journey of the individual and their heart and their soul. And, and that's, you know, that's what I learned with uh, Homecoming of Vietnam Vets Journey. And that was also my entree into the veterans world. Mm-hmm. And so that was very powerful. And then, um, again, I think I took another about eight year break. <laughs> Not really a break. I was, I was doing IMAX movies. I was doing uh, Discovery. Uh, I did a a documentary on Elvis impersonators (laughs) (laughs) and all sorts of different things. And then uh, it came back around. You know, we, we, we got into some more foreign conflicts and, and some veterans were starting to come home from that. And uh, a gentleman got a hold of me and said, you know, it's time that you do another film. And uh, that's when I did searching for homecoming back from war, Mm -hmm. my latest film, uh, you know, next to this. And what, what, that was significant about that is I, I expanded the idea of different voices uh, telling one story. I had a female vet, uh, Sandra Lee, mm-hmm. from the Iraq conflict. I had a World War II veteran that was a B-17 tail gunner. I had a Vietnam vet. I had all these different vets, including the female vet and all these different people telling their story. And, and kind of my thesis was, and I hoped would they'd be all telling the same story, no matter what generation or no matter, you know, their, their gender or whatever. And, um, you know, I remember in the edit room, you know, when I, I kind of, we call it watching a rollout when I watched the rollout of the whole thing up to that point, then realizing, oh my gosh, they are kind of telling the same story that this is working. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was, I, I was very excited that that worked. And, and so that was, that was kind of in the inside takeaway of, of searching for home. And I wanted to ask you when you, find the people that whose stories that you share in your films do you find them or do they find you you know that's such a great question i'm glad you added the the latter part i I feel the correct people are drawn yeah to the film and they kind of weed themselves out out you know i gotta tell you on on this my my on unmasking hope you know we we shot for almost two weeks in wichita and we had three or four different people from Wichita that we interviewed and everything. And then when we got down to the very end, you know, they didn't fit in Mm -hmm. and it was tough to cut them out, but the right people found us and the right people ended up in the film. Yeah. And actually I wanted to ask you about the editing process because as a podcaster, and I've said this to all my guests to stay true to the conversation, I keep everything. And when you're interviewing and going so deeply with a lot of these people, how do you determine what you keep and what you edit out? And I'm sure there's a whole process that happens between you and the storyteller. Oh, my gosh. You know, so, I mean, basically, you're asking you know, how, how uh, it's, you know what it is? Okay, I, I did this analogy before. Mm-hmm. 
it is it's it's a reduction it's a reduction sauce <laughs> you start you start with whatever it is the bone the bone broth and the cabernet and it's a, it's two gallons of it mm-hmm. you know and that's all the people and those are the transcripts thousands of pages of te- transcripts and you start boiling that and you start reducing it and the only way you do that is I have these huge notebooks and I do it. I, I tried to do it digitally this time, but I had to go back to the analog and make these huge notebooks and I highlight and make notes and highlight and make notes. And then I, then I congeal all this, my favorite parts. And I, then I paste them all into another transcript. And then I start taking notes and, and, and it just reduces and reduces until I'm at the core of what I feel their story is. And by doing that, and especially with this film, I mean, at the outset of this, I had, gosh, I, I, don't, I don't know how many different participants. We ended up with six in the film. I think we had over 10. But by the end of this, I know their story inside and out. I know I, 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 I'm an empath. And so when I go back through their stories, I'm actually living and thinking and trying to imagine their emotions. So I, I go back to who really they are. Yes. And on, I, each, and I, on each piece. So then I figure out how they all interact and everything. And I got to tell you, it takes a long time. And it's frustrating because I remember when I, you know, I, I went out to, we have a condo out here near the, near the beach. And, you know, and, and I went out to go do the transcripts. I thought it would take a couple of weeks. It took me like over a month or more to do all of them. And I was getting frustrated because it was eating up a lot of my time, but it was worth every moment getting to know those transcripts. So does that answer your question? It, it, it's a reduction sauce. It does. Until, until you end up with something and maybe just a cup of it. Yes. But it's so amazing what you end up with. And you said something so interesting is that you're an empath. And as someone who's also an empath, having watched your films, it's not even just how you tell, it's not what the story is, it's how you tell it. And so having watched, like you'll zoom in on the storyteller and there'll be moments of quiet and you just feel every single emotion along with that person. And that's the most powerful way to tell a story, I feel. Um, So I'm hoping everyone who's listening will go and see all of your films. Uh, Let's talk about your recent film, actually, Unmasking Hope. Why did you decide to make it? And what are you hoping the audience take away? Oh, my gosh, this is great, because it's such a great lead in from, you know, trying to explain the progression of my other films is this was the kind of ultimate test of my theory, Mm -hmm. I I guess that we're all kind of heal the same, that God has a plan for us to heal the same, you know, to to heal just much like a scratch. We look at the scratch on our hand and, and, and no matter what your spiritual beliefs for me, I'm a spiritual man. I believe God isn't created this way for us to heal. And, and just with the scratch, it, it heals a certain way. And I believe that our traumas heal a certain way. It's, but it's when society encroaches on that and things get in the way and and things get out of proportion and we have difficulties and that the healing goes awry. Mm-hmm. 
And so um, with searching for hope, uh, with uh, unmasking hope, I wanted to take this idea that we all kind of heal the same to the next level, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. So not only did I vary, and we have a very diverse group of participants in this film, but I also varied the traumas. So we have 9-11 survivors. We have mass shooting survivors, uh, a male sexual assault survivor. Um, we have the veteran, of course, because mm -hmm. I always have to go back to my vets. And uh, so we have this whole very broad spectrum of different traumas. And I, I was, again, I'm like, gosh, I hope they're kind of telling the same basic story. And again, in the edit suite, when we finally got to that point where everything started to really click, I'm like, wow. Even though their circumstances are way different, mm -hmm. an African-American male gentleman that was sexually assaulted when he was eight years old, what does he have in common with a female veteran that suffered uh, PTSD and, and um, a military sexual trauma? Well, they actually are kind of telling the same story. Mm-hmm. Even though the situation couldn't be more different, they're telling the same stories. So, you know, that was my goal. One of the major goals is to tell this story about healing and hope about with a broad spectrum of diversity that in, in some way will inspire people to say, hey, wow, we're kind of in this together and, and create tolerance, actually, in the long run. Because no matter what you're going through, if you just... You know, if you've lost a loved one to cancer and somebody else has gotten, you know, uh, had a car accident, whatever it is, whatever their trauma is lost, that that you can connect somehow and go, hey, you know what? We're, we're kind of in the same boat and, and create this kind of sense of tolerance, you know, and then there's a whole nother level of the unmasking, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's a whole nother discussion is with... Um, with trauma and a lot of other situations, we, we put on a mask just to get through it sometimes. And, and it's, it's a natural thing and it helps at one point it's very productive. So we can just live day to day and get through things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that mask gets stuck to us and then that mask kind of traps us. And that mask can be, you know, workaholism, mm -hmm. alcoholism, drugs. It can also be, um, you know, domestic violence, all sorts of other things that comes up when, when we get stuck behind that mask. And then we're talking about like taking that mask off and, and not only becoming who we were, it's not necessarily about that. It's about discovering who we can be and becoming that new person, you know, that has metamorphosized through the trauma. Yeah. And without even giving too much away of the film, the person that really stood out for me was the partner of one of the trauma survivors and the way he spoke and beyond tolerance, it was an acceptance and, and full support. And I thought, wow, like what an incredible human being to have that level of awareness and understanding and acceptance. Oh my gosh. You know, and that's, that's really interesting. And I'll give, I'll give this away. <laughs> it, it's not a, whether they call it a plot killer or, the warning, whatever. Twist. It's a twist. Yeah. But, yeah. but um, you know, Sandra Lee mm -hmm. 
she was in my other film, Searching for Home, Coming Back from War. And she is a Iraqi veteran, PTSD survivor, and a military sexual trauma survivor. And when I first met her, that's over 10 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, man, marriage or anything like that was not on the horizon, you know, and, and to be able to come back with this film, with Unmasking Hope, reconnect with her, and then be invited to her wedding and meet Mac, who's one of the most incredible men I've ever met. What a yes. great guy. Uh, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And and so we have the wedding and the film and what a culmination. And what, you know, see, that's where I'm like, <laughs> sometimes like, I don't get paid enough whatever yeah. for doing this. But you know what? My I, I get paid too much. I mean, because I get to go and attend these weddings and be be a support, be a friend with these people and see these stories and see their lives unfold in such an amazing way. Yeah. I mean, that's the part that I'm going to say brought me to tears, but again, without (laughs) giving too much away. Um, Eric, I want to talk about your position as ambassador for a given hour. I know that's something that's so near and dear to you, but if you can explain for our listeners, what is given hour and what does this role mean for you both personally and professionally? You know, I, I'm so honored to work with Given Hour. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, I first came to know about Given Hour when I was doing Searching for Home, coming back from war. And they, what they were doing at the time, and they still do this, was supplying um, free uh, therapy and mental health professionals and clinicians to veterans that needed, needed the help and counseling. And I I was amazed by them because it was like what I call boots on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these individuals have a hard time affording it, much less like asking for help. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that, that was where I was originally exposed to them. And then um, through Molly, the mass shooting survivor in the film, she had sought um, counseling and help through Given Hour after uh, after the Route 91 incident, mm-hmm. and uh, they they helped her immensely, and uh, with counseling and groups, and uh, you know it's amazing because um, it, it there's seventy there's seventy million or individuals with mental health conditions. Yeah. I'd argue that it's even more, right? Because it's, those statistics are typically underreported. Yeah. And, and, and there's, you know, and there's roughly 534,000 licensed mental health providers. Mm. So if you kind of do the math, it ends up being one provider for every 131 individuals, which kind of breaks down into like, huh, there, there is access there. So what Given Hour is trying to do is kind of break down that, in, that, that wall in between the two and, and work with these licensed mental health providers so they can reach out to people that have mental health conditions and, you know, intercede and interact with them and get them into counseling or whatever they need. And so um, I'm, just, I'm just really super proud to represent them Mm -hmm. and actually, you know, and, and they're a big part of the film, you know, because of Molly's healing. And the interesting thing is with Molly, um, 
is, and this is where I believe in this so, especially personally, I believe in this, that um, once Molly started counseling other survivors and became helping and became of service to other people, her her healing took off. And Given Hour gave her that platform to be able to become a peer counselor. And uh, th- that's amazing. Because, you know, a shooting survivor to a shooting survivor, a veteran to a veteran, drug addict to a drug addict, an alcoholic to an alcoholic. Outsiders just don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, you need you need somebody that's been there. And so, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's givenhour.org if you want to look them up. And I think Giving Tuesday, is that coming up? Yes. Yeah. And I'll be sure to share that yeah. as well in the episode show notes. Um, so they clearly set the bar high. Are there other organizations that you've partnered with or are aware of that are also making a positive impact on trauma oh, survivors? I'm super excited about my good friend, Anthony Edwards. Um, he's Tony to me. <laughs> um, he played Goose and he was Dr. Green in ER. and. Uh, I taught him how to surf in high school. <laughs> We're still good <laughs> friends. And, uh, but the thing is he came out about three or four years ago and I kind of knew this was happening mm-hmm. that he was, he was sexually molested by one of his mentors mm-hmm. when he was, when he was younger in junior high. And, uh, so he's been working with an organization called one in six because mm-hmm. one in six men were sexually assaulted, molested, abused when they were when they were young, not even young. And so, but it's very hard for the men to come forward yes. and talk about that. And so it's a very big issue. So there's one one in six.org and they're uh, they're just amazing people. All the men that are involved in that have been there. Mm-hmm. And so it, it it's just it's a very difficult subject for the men that have went through this, but it's also an organization that's very uh, sensitive to that and has a lot of resources. So we're excited to be working with them and, and put, you know, forward their cause because I feel it's irresponsible for me to put out a film with all these issues in it, without having some sort of what I would call a safety net with given hour with one and six. And, uh, you know, as we go along, you know, the world trade center health, mm-hmm. uh, people and, uh, people like that to come under, come underneath. And so there's a safety net for these people that have seen the film and, and hopefully it'll instigate some sort of healing and they'll reach out and, and then begin their own journey towards unmasking their hope. That's beautiful. So you're all making this connection and creating a safe space for people to be on this healing journey. That's our hope. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're certainly doing a phenomenal job. I mean, Eric, I want to ask you, you're highly creative, clearly. So your thoughts and process probably always running. You meet people, you're driving, you're in the shower, you're just always there are probably thoughts going through your head. Are you already working on your next project? Do you know, are there other topics that are so passionate for you that you want to eventually cover? Gosh, you know, that's such a good question because I do have, I do have a screenplay. It's a narrative film, a a normal film, film. Mm 
is based on uh, aggregate of the different soldiers I met, um, Vietnam vets. And, uh, but, you know, I don't know if I want to spend another five years of just trying to get the money for it and then constantly having my heart broken trying to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, the one project I'm really super proud of is going, I'm going to be a grandpa. Congratulations. That's a <laughs> big act- one. Which actually kind of, which actually kind of uh, um, transitions into what I'm really, really interested in is my other soapbox and is being a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, oh, I get so emotional. My, my son got married and he's going to have uh, a child. And uh, I have two other, two other, two other children. Uh, you know, we have, I have three kids all together and my wife, who is my perfect parenting, uh, partner mm-hmm. um it takes both of us to really uh do what we do and you know our oldest 24 youngest is 20 and they've all done very well and uh and they're coping you know and there's so many things now and uh but my other platform is being a dad you know and and parenting i think that's the most important thing i think people People uh, expect the school to do that. People think if I take my kid to church, they're going to get some sort of a spiritual, you know, connection. If I take my kids to Taekwondo or karate, they're going to get disciplined. You know, mm, mm-hmm. you know what? You know, my both my boys played football, and the best thing I ever heard about football is football doesn't create character. Football yeah. brings out character that is already there. So what you have to do is create that character in your home. And I think the dad needs to be a big, big part of that. And so that's kind of my, I don't know if that's a movie or what it is, or if it's just me working one-on-one with other, uh, with other men that need a little bit of guidance to how, what to do, you know? Yeah. And I think kids are the best storytellers. And that's one of the reasons why I love working with children is because they just tell it like it is and the vivid details and they can go on and on about jumping from one thing to another. And they really, if you allow them to just bring you where they're at, they'll take you on this journey. And I think the beauty of maybe when you, when your grandson is born is that's the story, right? From the eyes of a child through the eyes. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yeah. Pretty exciting times. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see if that will be your next film. Never yeah, say never. Knows? Never say never. Yeah. You know, when, when I tell my wife, I go, I don't know, this could be my last movie. And she just laughs. Yeah. So I think th- I've said that before. <laughs> yeah. So there's clearly something that drives you to your next project because it sounds like the healing journey just continues and it's lifelong. Oh, you know, and that's that that's a big thing. And that's an overall message as we were talking about each message in each film and the progression. You know, one of the things is in all my films, I, I want to have what I would call a sober view of recovery, of hope. And what I mean by that is it's an even view. You know, it, it's like these things never fully go away. Mm-hmm. And we incorporate them into our life. We co- incorporate all these these tragedies, these traumas, we incorporate this into our life narrative. And then hopefully by doing that, we can also kind of twist it around. So it actually improves us as an individual. Yeah. But more importantly, that we can go out and help somebody else that's just starting on this journey because yeah. we've been through it. 
Yep. And as you know, the world population just hit 8 billion. And that are a lot of stories. So we're just open to it and creating platforms for people to tell their stories. It'll also like what you do is just helping others as well. So all good things. Um, Eric, where can our listeners find out more about you and your films? Well, definitely to find out about Unmasking Hope, we're on Instagram and Facebook, uh, just under Unmasking Hope. And then you can also uh, go to unmaskinghopethemovie.com and uh, check us out. And we'll have all the information, and especially when we in January, uh, we release to public television. And we'll have uh, schedules there and everything. You can also look at your local public television provider and ask to hear uh, or see Unmasking Hope or keep an eye out for it starting in January. And then to find out more about me, you can go to ecproductions.com and it's everything about me and uh, all my other projects. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include all of those as well. And I would love when the film is launched for you to come back and do an Instagram live. So a video um, interview just sharing everything. Oh, I would love that. that. Awesome. Okay. I'm putting that on the calendar then. Okay. Actually. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And Eric, I want to thank you so much for sharing your gift of storytelling with us. You are all about using what happened to you to help someone else. And I think there's no greater gift. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's been really fun. I mean, this is the first, I think, um, interview directly about the finished film. (laughs) And that's that's a big milestone. I'm truly honored. And I want to tell the listeners, like I said, do go and check out all of the films and and especially Unmasking Hope when it does come out and do have a tissue nearby because I guarantee there will be some tears. Um, Thank you so much, Eric, again. And again, I'm I'm excited for our next interview because I feel like there's never enough time and content to share our ideas. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, I'm just very excited for so many things coming up in the future. There's a lot of hope. (laughs) Yes. Congratulations to you and all the success. And of course, all the healing that you're helping humanity do. And I want to thank the listeners as always for tuning in. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast with your host, Argavan Nilforush. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into all the tips and tricks you and your family can use to make daily life a little easier. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please leave a rating and review, share with others, and follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Baby Steps Nutrition Podcast. As always, you can head over to babystepsnutrition.com to sign up for our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. See you next time. Tune in. Feel great.